Everybody in the uh, class then, when they bought their grades, proceeded to not take notes in class anymore. They burnt their their uh, term papers and everything and so on. And then just a week before it was over, he told them all it was all just a hoax. He was mad. He was mad because uh, all these kids liked the free enterprise system. Well, I don't think uh, I don't think uh, bribery has much to do with the free enterprise system. <laughs> what kind of an economics professor is this ding dong? But uh, nevertheless, he says he wanted to show how corrupt the whole enterprise system was. Well, what are you going to do, you know? The guy comes in and says, uh, we're selling this. You want to buy it? That doesn't say much about the system. It says a lot about his morality, what it really says. You know, speaking of uh, of uh, great moments like that, have you, uh, have you ever... Uh, I just wonder. I'm just curious. We're going to bring up a supposition here. You know, I've done some teaching. In fact, I taught uh, one year at NYU, and uh, I had a little experience in this that uh, curious, uh, somehow incestuous world. It's a fascinating world, and I, I, uh, I just wonder if, if 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 anybody has ever, and I've never heard of it. It probably must have happened. It would have had to have happened. Were there any professor who uh, was teaching a crucial course, crucial too? somebody's grades, uh, you know, somebody's eventual graduation or granting of a degree or something, somebody who's teaching an essential course, like say if you were if you were teaching in a medical school, right, and you were teaching say uh, well, something as basic as anatomy and some guy you, you know, had to get a grade, he, had, he just had, absolutely had to get this grade or forget it if he failed it, you know, 
out, out, out he goes, you know. <laughs> going to be working at a drugstore from that day on, you know, opening Coke bottles, and that's about it. Now, the, uh, I wonder whether at any point anybody ever tried to and successfully bribed a teacher or a grade. It's a good question, isn't it? You never thought about that, but it's a good question. You know, I, there was a big case. Uh, well, I, this has happened in some very curious areas. Uh, uh, of guys needing something very badly, uh, and uh, I wonder if any anybody, you know, some kid uh, is going to the school, see, and uh, and he's having trouble with, uh, we'll say, for argument's sake, uh, organic chemistry. You know, he's got to get this grade, or else. Uh, it's all over in the pre-med. He's, he's that kind of thing. So he's really having trouble. You know, he's banging his head against the wall. He's having trouble with the carbon compounds and all the rest of it. See, and he goes home and tells his old man. And it turns out his old man is one of the local godfathers. And uh, ten minutes later, the phone rings at uh, Professor Oschenschlager's house, and his voice comes out about, "Hi, Oschenschlager. You got a kid named Clarence. He's taking his chemistry right. Well." He better get an A. You hear that? He better get an A. You understand? I'll tell you what, if you don't understand, we'll give you a little demonstration tomorrow night, right? I think you'll read me. Yeah. You like the way I delivered that? Isn't that kind of a nice little dramatic moment? Amazing now, Professor Oschenschlager. All of a sudden, you know, I'll tell you what happened with me one time. You want to hear about this? I was I was taking a I was taking a course. This was in high school. I was in uh, physics, and, uh, and you know, physics, of course, is you, you've got to do a lot of uh, homework in it. So it's a it's it's not one of these things that you can add up your way through. You you either know about moments of inertia or you don't. You know, <laughs> it's as simple as that. And we used to have all these these uh, questions. Uh, uh, the problems that we were given. We were given problems and pulleys and torque and weights and all that jazz. And uh, and it was it was really really it wasn't that I couldn't understand it, which I could. There was no no problem there. But what the problem was, I was also playing on a football team, and uh, we would we would start practice about uh, four o'clock in the afternoon, and uh, we would do PT till about four thirty or five, and then we would have scrimmages until about six. And I'd come dragging home. I'd get home about seven o'clock at night, you know. And I'll tell you, it was really a drag. So this went on seven days a week. You see, this practice, and plus the fact I was carrying all the other courses, uh, the usual stuff, English, uh, history, and so on. Well, uh, one day it was a wild thing, and I, I was not. I couldn't get all the homework done. It was just a matter of time. I was so tired most of the time that I couldn't sit there for three hours and do uh, uh, problems and torque and so on. And inertia. Well, well, uh, I was I was flailing around there, and I, w I was getting very sketchy with the homework, you know. <laughs> and and uh, I'd hand in uh, out of five problems, I'd hand in two, and then I would get back the paper with a big question mark, uh, red and uh, red crayon, big question mark, and it'd say, "What happened to problem five, nine, and 14? You know that kind of stuff. D. Uh, wow. So. Uh, I I, uh, I was sitting in class one day, and this this uh, professor, this doctor, uh, he was a doctor. He was a, he was uh, he taught also in the local university, and he was doing this high school thing. So anyway, he's sitting up up there, and he's sitting at his desk, and he's asking questions. This time we were we were on the 
we were on the principles and of, of uh, alternating current. Uh, you recall those problems you had in alternating current, the uh, phase shift relationships and little thingies like that. So he he says uh, he's now uh, class. Uh, we're going to uh, I'm going to I'm going to do a little uh, oral discussion here now today. And I'd like to uh, ask uh, members of the class, he says, and if you're not going to volunteer, he says, I'm going to point out, uh, just point to you, and he says, I want you to answer the questions that I gave you, right? He says, this will uh, this will actually uh, be graded as an oral examination today. He says, you've all read the course, uh, the, the, the chapter on uh, alternating current in a textbook and the basic principles of electricity and uh, generation and all that. So uh, anybody, anybody hasn't read it? And a hand goes up. Well, I knew at least one guy in the class that hadn't read it. And uh, <laughs> so, but let me tell you what happened. <laughs> just just as a, as a sidelight. It was one of, the, one of the chapters I didn't have to read because of what happened. He said, uh, all right, he said, now, uh, class, he said, uh, can uh, any of you here uh, tell me what happens uh, when an alternating current is uh, increased in frequency and you begin to get uh, uh, an increase in frequency and you get uh, problems which we call uh, a standing wave uh, problem, uh, can any of you give me a definition of that? Instantly, uh, my hand goes up, see, and I start telling them about standing wave ratios and, and uh, UHF <laughs> and various other... Uh, he's dumbfounded. He sits back and he said... Uh, I said, uh, well, uh, Mr. Shepard, he said, that's uh, very interesting. I said, uh, you know, you, you went well beyond the textbook in that. Did you read this text? Well, there are times when you actually tell the truth, I, uh, and there are other times you don't. And this was one of those times, I don't know, I just felt the urge, well, I better tell the truth. My instinct was right for once. Shepard is known for never having right instincts. And so uh, I said, uh, well, Mr. Madsen, I, to be honest with you, no, I didn't read that. He said, oh, all right. He says, now, well, wait a minute. He says, now, let's, let's, uh, let's get this straight. You didn't read the text? You did not read the, the chapter on uh, alternating current transmission? You did not read any of this, and yet you're here telling me about Kirchhoff's Law, which is not mentioned until the second semester of this very course? Well, I'll tell you, honestly, uh, Mr. Madsen, uh, I, I, I know about that sort of thing. Well, now, how do you know about... Oh, well, class, we have an expert with us. <laughs> you know about that sort of thing, right? <laughs> well, class, uh, we'll just see how well Mr. Shepard knows about this sort of thing. Uh, do, you, do you have any concept at all of, of, of how, uh, of how uh, radio frequency currents are generated? Well, yes, of course I do, Mr. Manson. Uh, now, take for example the tri-tet oscillator. We can discuss the Hartley oscillator here. I'll, uh, and I, I says, uh, may I use the blackboard for a moment? I'll, I'll give you a diagram of a very interesting Hartley oscillator, and I'll explain to you on how the generation of RF, uh, RF uh, voltages, actually RF current, is produced uh, using a Hartley, a tri-tet. And then I'll, uh, so I go up to the board and I'm doing all this stuff, and I got the Hartley oscillator, and then I do the tri-tet oscillator, then I do a crystal control oscillator, then I do a double buffer stage, I'm carried away. And at that point, he's, he's dumbfounded, you know, obviously the class is flipping out too, you know. Old dumb, dumb shepherd back there is all of a sudden exploded, you know, an atomic bomb explosion of total knowledge. And uh, Mr. Matson says, well, uh, 
I, I don't like to be, uh, don't like to be, uh, disrespectful, Mr. Shepard. Uh, but, uh, where did you learn all this? I said, well, Mr. Nelson, I, uh, my call is W9 Quebec, Washington, Nevada. I'm W9 QWN. I have the first phone. And, uh, his face changed. He, he, he actually shrunk. He shrank down into his seat. He says, oh, he said, for heaven's sakes. You, you mean, what band do you work? And I said, well, I'm on. Work a little CW down on the high end, low end of 20. I work a little 40 meters CW. And I, I'm, on, I'm on the 20 phone now and again. And he said, uh, I'd like to talk to you about this after class. You don't mind, Mr. Shepard. I said, no, certainly. And so the bell rings about 20 minutes later, and I was not called on again, obviously. And uh, I walk up to the desk, and Mr. Matson says, hey, he said, uh, you really are. You're telling me nine kids away. I says, yes, indeed. I'll say. He said, you have a first phone? I says, yes, I do. Matter of fact, I do. He said, oh, come on. I said, well, yes, of course. So I whip out my wallet. I had this wallet that had the Joe DiMaggio's picture in it and uh, other goodies of the time. And uh, in it was, uh, was a, <laughs> was a, a, a photocopy of both my uh, first class phone and my class A hand ticket. And I showed it to him. He sat there for a minute, you know, dead silence reading these uh, very official federal documents, which attested to plenty. And he said, oh, you know, he said, uh, I had no idea. So why didn't you tell me this before? I was with the subject never came up. We were always talking about ropes and pulleys. And, uh, it just never came up. I said, I, I, I'm not that interested in ropes and pulleys. And uh, <laughs> I said, but uh, you come along and you tell me you'd like to know something about a uh, half-wave rectifier uh, or a selenium rectifier. Now you're in my ballpark. I, I'm, uh, you know, I... He says, you know, at that point, our whole relationship changed. He says, you know, he said, uh, I've um, never been able to learn the code. He says, you know, for four years, I've been trying to get a ham ticket. I said, Mr. Matson, uh, uh, there's certain things you must know about learning the code. I said, you know, I have a 45 word per minute certificate from the ARRL. And uh, I can give you a little help in the code. I, uh, I think you're probably approaching it entirely wrong. You're probably approaching it from what we call the digital error, the digital error, which is a very difficult problem. I said, I want you to, I want you to, I'll give you a few little exercises to do. And so I gave him a few exercises on the how to learn the code thing. And he was he was sitting at his desk when I when I left. You know, just uh, kind of a stoned look on his face. And they says, uh, well, uh, gee, it's very nice of you to help me like that. And I said, don't worry about it, Mr. Matson, any time. And if you're having trouble with the Q&A, if you uh, run into any problems about uh, antenna line theory or antenna transmission theory, uh, open wire feeders, you just come around. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll help you. I had a little experience on that. I says, let me tell you the time I had this, uh, this uh, half-wave zip on... Uh, on 75, and I was feeding it with a sick... You just see his whole face, you know, <laughs> he changed. From that day on, I did not hand in a single piece of homework. I got an A-plus on the course. And I hate to tell you, kids, I deserved it. 
But uh, I don't know whether he ever got his ticket. You know, I've often wondered whether Matson ever got his ticket because I went on, you know, and he he left the school and went somewhere else. Now I wonder whether he ever got that license. <laughs> but uh, these are the things that uh, that you that you deal with. Now you never know. You see, you see a person all your life, and you think you know him. You know, and, and uh, you don't know. And uh, any time now I look at somebody, I look at them with a little different way. You know, that they're surrounding this guy. There's another. Of another guy. There's a, a, a shadowy image of a man he once tried to be. Or there's a tangled knot of indescribable interpersonal relationships that exist above his head like a like a rusty Brillo pad filled with trauma. Yes. And I, I don't think I should tell you the story because it's uh, somewhat disturbing. Well, I don't know. Because somebody out there may may uh, put two and two together, and then the roof would fall in. I better not tell you this. Now, all right, I will. After all, it's the function of the artist to plunge forward ahead, totally without any sense of personal danger. You just go out and lay it out, right? Well, okay. You never know about people. Now you heard this cliche many times. And you tend to dismiss a cliche. You stay right here, Bob, because I'm going to talk about something in one minute. You've got to hear this. I said that around every person in your life, there exists a tangled web of indescribably private and usually fantastically surprising personal interrelationships, right? Like a rusty Brillo pad. Well, a, a couple of years before I came to this nest of thieves here on Broadway... I was working in a television station in a TV show. And there was this friend of mine, and I'd known him intimately for two years. In fact, he was directing the show. You know, you get to know a guy very, very much. We work together all day long. We're doing the show, see. And one day, after we finished taping a show, he looked me right in the eye, which is something he didn't always do. He looked me right in the eye, and he said, Chef, I said, Yes, Fred. And it's not the Fred you think. It's another Fred. He said, uh, I need your advice. I said, well, of course. <laughs> if there's anything that is groovier for your ego than being asked for advice, I'd like to know it. Uh, anytime anybody asks you for advice, you, you, know, you, you feel expense. Well, of course, I'd be delighted to give you advice. He said, uh, no, no. He said, uh, I don't want to talk about here. He said, uh, I just, I just want to ask you advice on something. It's really bugging me. I don't know what to do. Well, I figured it's the typical problem. Uh, should I buy the Chevy or should I buy the Ford? Uh, what am I going to do about that damn sales department around my back again? You know, that kind of stuff. So I said, well, let's go downstairs to the uh, B&G. We had this place called the Bottomless Cup, you know. They'll give you a bottomless cup of coffee. And uh, they had the buttermilk... Uh, Pancakes, <laughs> you know the thing. So we go down to the B and G, and I'm sitting at the sitting at the counter. There's nobody else around. It's middle of the afternoon. Little did I realize that I'm about to have a bomb laid upon me. Which to this night, uh, I, I often wake up at three in the morning, and I see this guy's face on the on the ceiling. <laughs> he says, uh, "This is confidential, right?" You know me, you know me very well. We fought together. We put this show together. For two years we fought. Now, I'm not going to say anything. I, have I ever 
spilled anything, you just lay it out. I guarantee you, I'll never mention it. So, okay. I got a real problem. What? What is it? Well, I don't know how to say it. I said, well, why don't you just say it? Why don't you just blab it out like uh, my foot's falling off? Why don't you, you know, just come out and lay it out? So I wish it was as simple as that. Well, foot falling off. That would be easy to take care of. Go home and get a wooden leg. This is a problem. Well, come on, buddy. Look, look, come on. Uh, you know, you want to talk to me? We're sitting here. And I've got a show. We're going to have to go to work again in another 20 minutes. I can't sit all day long here drinking this coffee. Now, just say it. Just say it. I'll try to help you. I'll try to help you. Because of my vast knowledge of human problems, I can help you, of course. Okay. And he looked around to make sure nobody was listening. The girl by the counter was all the way by, by the cash register. And looked around again. He said, I'll tell you, don't God sex mention this to anybody. I'm really up against the wall. Let's go ahead. What is it? I have got two wives. I said, what? I dropped my cup. I said, you, you got what? I've got two wives. I married the two women. I said, you mean to tell me I've known you for two years and you've got two wives? Oh, we see this Louise. Oh, man. I'm at dinner with you and Louise. He says, yes, but you don't know about Gladys. I said, Gladys? He says, yeah, that's the other one I'm married to. She lives in Chicago. I said, you're married to a lady in Chicago named Gladys and a lady named Louise living in Cincinnati? He says, yeah, that's it. I said, well, when do you see you? You live here in Cincinnati. Every weekend I go to Chicago. Gladys doesn't know about Louise, and Louise doesn't know about Gladys. Well, how the hell did this happen? It's what Well, this is very embarrassing. I said, well, it must be. Well, what happened? Well, you know, when I was in school, I married Louise, right? He said, I thought we was happy. We were, you know, we made it, we had a couple of kids right away. Everything was fine. You remember that NAB conference they had three years ago in Chicago? I says, what the hell's the NAB conference got to do with this? He said, well, a lot to do with it. He said, I was sent to the NAB. Now I go up to the conference. I'm living in the Stevens Hotel up there. I was there for a full week, right? And I said, yeah. He said, oh, my God. I met this guy. Oh, unbelievable. She was famous. Came in from St. Louis. Her name was Gladys. And I want to tell you, she just blew my mind. I couldn't help it. I, 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 my eyeballs were sweating every time she walked by. I said, but wait a minute, Fred. I guys meet a girl and they, you know. He said, but I couldn't, I couldn't stand it. And she would have nothing to do with me. I said, well, you should have taken a hint. Said, oh, no, you don't know her. She's, she's fantastic. She's so fantastic. I couldn't get her out of her mind for three days. I walked them out. And he said, one night, I had dinner with her at the Sherman Hotel. And he said, I don't know what, what made me do it? I said, what did you do? What did you do? He said, we're sitting there eating. And I'm looking at her. He said, I wanted to, oh, he said, I wanted to get that, oh, I said, I wanted to get that girl up to my room the worst way. 
But she would have known it. She didn't know I was married. And all of a sudden I said to her, when they're bringing the oysters Rockefeller, I said to her, Gladys, will you marry me? And she said, yes, I will. That night we went to Whiting, Indiana. I took this rented horse car. We went out to Whiting, Indiana, and we got married. I don't know what happened. Why I did it? I did it. That's what. What'd you do then? So what do you think we did? We went back to the hotel. But then what? It started. At the end of the week, I told her that I had to go back. I told her I was going to school at the University of Cincinnati. And she had just gotten this job at this television station in Chicago. I told her that I had to go back to school. And I went back to Cincinnati with Louise. Well, it's two years later now. I, I, I don't know what to tell you. You got a wife in Chicago. You got a wife in Cincinnati. I don't know what to tell you. All I got to say, one thing, is if you ever hear of Gladys buying a ticket on a Greyhound bus to come to Cincinnati, you better do something quick. That's what's happening. She wants to come down there. I said, oh, my God, no. Mention it to anybody. I had to tell somebody. I just had to tell somebody. We went out of the B and G back into the television station. And the next night, we never mentioned it. The next day, we recorded the show. We recorded another show. And that night, I saw Louise drive up in their Chevy and pick him up, and they went away. I knew him for another six months, and we never mentioned it again. Eventually, I got the word, saw the light. I left Cincinnati. I don't know what happened to Louise and Gladys, but I know he was telling the truth. I've never seen a more terrified man in my life. And usually he was an enigmatic, kind of a sullen guy. But the night that he told me that he was married, to Gladys and Louise taught me a lesson which I have never forgotten. Those placid streams that flow past the dark green trees of the everlasting forest of human life have fish that none of us have ever seen. Possibly ever want to see. I don't know where Gladys is tonight, nor Louise. No, Fred, by the way, these are not the real names of any three of them, as you can tell. Oh, this is a true horror story. Uh, I, I, I really don't know... Uh, I really don't know... Uh, whether or not... You see, you see, most people don't really write about the kind of things that actually are uh, the true scenes of their lives. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one of the scenes... You want to hear another horror story? Now, this is the kind of horror story that, that if, if I did this in a 90-minute, uh, a 90-minute, and, and I've often thought it would be really great to do a 90-minute television drama that's taken not from uh, some kind of a, a fiction writer's head, but out of the real-life story. One time, I'll tell you another one. You'll never know about people. <laughs> and, you know, you, you hear this cliche, but my, you know, 
Oh, George, it is not a cliché. Have you come to the conclusion that many old clichés are clichés because they're absolutely true? Absolutely true. Well, how many times have you heard people say, well, you never know. That's true. It's absolutely true. Well, one day, again, this was a, this was a, this occurred in Cincinnati. You know this, I take a pun, which is not controversial. But, uh, occurred in Cincinnati, and this actually did happen in Cincinnati. And uh, I was I was uh, very starry-eyed, and at that point, you see, we all go through a period in our lives when uh, when life seems to be extremely simple. Yes, uh, although, although our personal problems are often complex, life seems simple, you know, it, it does. Uh, uh, and that's why often the, the best revolutionaries are under 19. Because it seems very simple to get rid of evil. Just get rid of it. <laughs> get rid of them bad guys. And then, of course, life will be great forever. Simple. You never think in terms of yourself turning into a bad guy. See, there is no such thing as, as as a set character for anybody. That within every within every elegant minister lies the seed of a total debauchee. And within the the uh, the, uh, the the shell of every of every riotous uh, reveler, there lies the kernel of an incredibly fanatical uh, fighter of evil. Now, why? Why? Why is uh, nobody quite knows? Uh, you know how, what makes one surface and what makes what makes another one disappear? But here's 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 what taught me this, among others. This one taught me. There was a guy that worked at this television station I knew, who was the most elegant character. He was truly elegant. You know, if there's only one or two, maybe five men in my lives that, I, that I've, in my life that I've ever known who were truly elegant. Now, I mean elegant in the Vincent Price style. You know, or, or the George Sanders style. You know, do you remember the late George Sanders? Elegant actor, he was always anything but my dear. That is so, so ridiculous. Let's just have a little wine and forget the whole nasty affair. This, this is, you know, <laughs> this is elegance. Well, anyway, this guy was an elegant guy, and he used to sit. He was a writer, and he wrote he wrote pieces for uh, the Saturday Review, and uh, he always had a piece coming out in Harper's, and uh, he was always sitting around and making devastating remarks about uh, society and about mankind, and he was he was he always seemed to be laughing behind. His his uh, his external. He was always laughing at the plight of all of us. You know, <laughs> well, that's the way with mankind, kind of thing. And I was uh, I was you know really fascinated. I was a kid, you know, and I was I was really fascinated by this guy. When and he was incidentally a graduate of one of the great southern universities, and he came from a very wealthy family, uh, of the true southern gentry. And he had just the touch of a southern accent, really an elegant man. And, and in fact, he was so elegant that the girl he was going with at all times, he referred to as Miss Anne. <laughs> now, that's elegant, you know. They'd sort of say, hey, uh, how about you and me going out and have dinner with Anne? You know, and then they used to say, uh, say said, uh, Miss Anne is coming into town today. Would you care to uh, uh, take dinner with us? I love people that say, take dinner with us. You know, that, that's the way Joe was. And uh, 
So Miss Anne was was like chiseled out of alabaster. She was an elegant girl, and uh, she was the kind that you see staring out at you from Camay ads and uh, Chanel Number no. Five. She had a chiseled profile, and so as time went on, uh, they they decided to get married, and it was a truly elegant marriage. It was the only time I've ever gone into an elegant jewelry store and ordered the silver, you know, their pattern. <laughs> you know, I'd, you buy them a soup to eat, and they, they check your name off, and you, you order this pattern. So they had this tremendous reception with all the silverware out, and Miss Anne was married, and only a true southern uh, belle can be married. And there were elderly colonels standing around, and this was all done in northern Kentucky, where the gentry really lives. And it was in the horse country outside of Lexington, as a matter of fact. And one of the men had owned, uh, his uncle had owned a Kentucky Derby winner. And he was there. Oh, wow. And then I left. Two years went by. And then the second year, late in the second year, I was back out in Cincinnati on business. And I'm sitting in a bar with a friend of mine. We're having a drink at a table. And all of a sudden, his face changed. He said, don't turn around, don't turn around. I said, what's the matter? What's the matter, Bob? He says, don't turn around. I said, what, what's back there? He said, I'll tell you later. Well, of course, you know, you got to look. You got to turn around. So I turn around, see, and I see, standing by the door, this, well, the only way I can describe him is he was the total Bowery bum. Uh, 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 he looked like an old, weazened man covered with, with stubble on a torn shirt and uh, just just a, a rotten-looking bum. And the, the bartender is throwing him out, pushing him out the door, see? And I said, who was that, Bob? He said, you'll never guess. That's Joe. I said, Joe? Joe who? I never put the two together. It's Joe. You remember the guy that used to write at the station? Who married Miss Anne? Joe. Joe. You mean the Joe? George Sanders? Vincent Price? He says, oh my God, he's unbelievable. He says, you know that he's on the Bowery in New York? He's on the Bowery. And he, 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 he bums his way back and forth across the country. And once in a while, when he comes into Cincinnati, he always comes into the bar here where all of us, this was a bar, by the way, where all the radio and TV people went. He says he always comes in here and tries to get a couple of drinks, and then he drifts out. I says, he's on the Bowery! Bowery! He says, always, not only on the Bowery, but uh, he comes down here, he stabbed the guy the last time he went through. He stabbed the guy right out here on 4th Street. He was in the can for 30 days. I says, Joe, stabbed the guy, what happened? He says, I don't know, nobody knows. I says, what happened to Miss Ann? I says, well, Miss Ann... Went back to Lexington. As long as I know, she's remarried and she never mentions him. I sat there and I drank my... my gin. It was the second one, you see. The first one just got me started. The second one was calming my nerves after having seen... seen Joe. And I said, well, Bob... Is there anything we can do for him? Why don't we go out and help him? He says, don't get near him. He says, he'll grab a hold of you and he'll, 
he'll start crying and he'll want money. And the next thing you know, he's going to be drunk and laying out in the street. You can't help him. We tried to help him for six months. She'll never, never guess who he stabbed. I said, who? He says he stabbed Herbie. I said, Herbie. Herbie was this nice, soft, jovial engineer. I said, oh my God, no. So friends, who knows the evil that lurks in the hearts of man. Ha, 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 ha.